This is TC Song Story. I'm your host, Mark Sweeney. They call me Hosa, Keith Hovis, producing under the name Devious Mechanics, has caught a lot of attention for his dark musical comedies, but he wants it to be known there's a lot more up his sleeve. In this episode, Keith discusses Mrs. Housel, a suicide suite, which premiered last spring with Freshwater Theatre Company. We talk about the choices he made to convey the 1800s music hall style, the history of Mrs. Housel, and we end with a note on the flexibility, range, and importance of musical theater. Of course, the song and its completion will be performed at the end of the podcast with Kelly Matthews, Peter Hansen on guitar, and Keith Hovis. This is TC Song Story. My name is Keith Hovis, and the song is The Nine Lives of Mrs. Housel from my musical Mrs. Housel, A Suicide Suite. I have to, when I get into a piece, I have to kind of see the beginning and the end. I have to know where I'm starting and where I'm going to, and then the middle, you know, it takes just as much work, but it kind of comes a little easier for me. Uh, And so for this song, uh, it was really all about finding that right tone because, you know, I only had 20 minutes as a short musical, so to grab the audience and to really introduce a character in a dynamic way. And so I had that the chorus line, um, the Mrs. Housel of suicidal fame, which is what they refer to her in the newspaper all the time as, I had that in my head, and I, I heard that melody, and I kind of just slowly built the song around that melody. of, And I knew I wanted to kind of... It's, it's almost in some ways to me, which I hate throwing out this reference, but uh, that she does kind of this pop when she sings like... And I, that to me, that was very like popular from the musical Wicked, of how she, Christian Chenoweth pops up on that. And so to me, it was, it, it's this really, you know, that kind of that big, grandiose moment, that character song, and I really wanted to pull in the audience. And, uh, and so it just kind of slowly built out from those five words or four words. As I was researching the piece and, and trying to sit down and write, I, in all the articles I found out about this woman named Mrs. Housel, I saw those five words repeated over and over, Mrs. Housel of suicide fame, suicidal fame. And um, as I kept seeing them, then I, I just kept hearing them in musical, kind of, in my head, that melody, until I couldn't read the words without hearing that in my head. And then it became this kind of folk-type sound to me, which I really enjoyed, and then I built it out from there. It's very much a storytelling type piece, and that kind of goes hand in hand with folk music and, and telling a story. Uh, and in some ways, when you kind of, it has um, to me almost like a folk meets Broadway sound, which then kind of the piano part in this song is almost like kind of old school to me, piano jaunty type type backbone of the song, which is throwback to almost like the the parlors get a beer and there's the piano player in the corner. And so it kind of created almost a a time setting for me too of of taking you back a little bit in feel, whereas then as the piece goes on, it kind of gets a little more modern folk sounding. I had a dream I killed myself. The piece takes place in between uh, when the character Mrs. Housel uh, has tried to commit suicide in jail and before she tries to commit suicide again during that same stay in jail. And so the piece starts with her um, gasping as she wakes up and she's on uh, this kind of prison cot in the dark and she sings about the opening of having a dream that she killed herself. And to me, those words are really powerful 
because this woman tried so many times, five, six, seven times to kill herself, and every one of them is documented, but she never succeeded. And so it's interesting to me that even in her dreams, she's dreaming about doing something that she's never been successful at. And so it's her waking up and talking about this, this moment that she can't achieve. And it's something as dark to the audience, but to her it's beautiful. And so it has this kind of like minor um, sound in the music. But to me, when I wrote it, that was, it's almost like her ode, her dream. Her, that's what she wants, and she wants to die, and she can't die. And she's stuck waking up. And so that's the beginning of the piece of her waking up and starting in with her dream, and then leads into an introduction. Well, so the, the piece was initially uh, produced as a part of this night of shorts called Archival Revival with Freshwater Theater. And um, Ruth Verkus, who is uh, one of the co-artistic directors of Freshwater, had the idea of doing a night full of pieces based on stories, real stories, news stories from Minnesota history. And so she actually is a, is a history buff, and she went to the History Center in St. Paul and found a bunch of articles and kind of posted them online and said, if you're interested in being a part of this, uh, go read through these articles and submit a proposal on what you would do. And it could be anything from like sketch comedy to a short dramatic piece to a musical to uh, some other people did kind of uh, one woman, one man, one woman shows kind of telling a story based on them. So there's a whole variety of, of pieces. And, uh, and I was reading through them and there were some that were funnier and that I thought could be really hilarious as musicals because I knew I wanted to write a musical. Um, and then I read this one and there was something just so infinitely sad about her that I couldn't stop thinking about her and I couldn't turn it off. And so even without um, knowing if I got into the festival or not, I found myself going online and researching her myself and trying to find out more, as much information as I could find and emailing Ruth and saying, what else do you have? What else can I get? And it was just, so I don't know exactly why my mind clicked at that moment to say Mrs. Housel is what I need to write about, but um, I think it was, this piece takes place in 1878, and it's a tie to modern-day society, tabloids and paparazzi and, and that kind of thing, that uh, the fact that her claim to fame was suicide. And that's, that's what she was written about, and that was what was important to people about her, and that's why she mattered. We'd like to think that at one point we weren't interested or obsessed with another person's pain, but I think that it's always been there. And I think that that's what drew me to her, is this poor woman who is living this terrible life, and whether you want to believe her side of her story or not believe her story, she, A, never got the chance to tell it, B, had her story told for her by people who didn't know, and, and then C, disappeared, and you never get the end. And so it was this really sad kind of like persecution of a woman. And I think not having an ending to her story was probably the biggest thing for me is I just, I needed to know. And I, I give her an ending in my story, but I don't, I don't really know exactly. I know when she dies, because they have death records. Because one thing that's interesting to me, she has a husband who's an awful person. As soon as they get a divorce, he's trying to get a divorce from her, she's trying to get a divorce from him, and the judge eventually grants a divorce, and he puts in there that the only reason he's granting a divorce is because the city of Minneapolis has debauched her. It's ruined her. And so she's not... 
a good enough person to be married anymore. But as soon as that happens, the paper stopped writing about her. And it's like you don't get anything else. You have one notice about a year later that says she was remarried, and that's it. But it's just kind of this interesting thing that in the midst of, uh, of her marriage and her fighting with her husband, you have these multiple suicide attempts and all of this stuff that gets put out. But then as soon as she gets the divorce, it just stops. May I find John burning as well? And she's had this really dramatic, almost operatic type life in, in scope of all this awful thing, all these awful things that kept getting put on her. And, um, and she, the, the piece, and it's directly out of the timestamp of the newspaper article I found, but it's 1878, which also happens to be the first year that uh, Congress was voting on women's rights. And then that wouldn't pass for another almost 20 years. And so she's at this precipice of a nation changing. And because she's not, she didn't have the fortune of being born later, she's stuck in the oppression that everybody's fighting about, but the freedom that she'll never see. She's a, she was a woman who nobody listened to, who even when the papers wrote about her and decided to use her words when she was talking about her life and, and what she wanted to say, they would always clarify it by saying that she was a woman of, of low refute or her, her uh, characters held in very low estimation. So they always clarified whenever they used anything that she said. And so to me, this piece in jail with no one around her is the one time when she can speak and be heard. And so that's why it's very much of an anthem for herself because uh, this is the one time when she can say what she wants to say and there isn't anybody there to say, Here's, what, here's, here's how she describes herself, but it's all a lie. Like, don't listen to her. And so in this jail cell is when she can actually speak and be heard, even if it's only by herself. I think that musical theater can be viewed in a lot of different ways. And I think that there is the kind of stereotypical type of musical theater that you think of when you think about Broadway and you think about the classic big budget musicals. And then you can think about these smaller, more intimate pieces that are popping up and that are getting done and maybe we'll never have that Broadway show or that off-Broadway that will be, but get produced and that get their cult followings or just maybe seven people see it and it impacts those seven people forever. I just think that music in, it, in and of itself is such a primal and such an, an important medium to write in, and when you pair that with the storytelling aspect of theater, I think you can touch people in ways that you can't necessarily touch people with a monologue or with a play. And so like for me, uh, I like writing plays too, but I think musical theater is really, I love diving into the story and using the poetry and the words and the melody and finding that, that arc that you get with a song or with multiple songs. And I think that, uh, it's just, it's a really fun format to play with. And I think that a lot of people hear the word musical and they get one idea in their mind of what a musical is. And musicals are so much more multifaceted and different and varied. And even, uh, even for myself, like, uh, this is my second year at the Fringe and I wrote you know, two dark comedies in a row. And so I think that when people hear, when more people hear this type of thing that's completely different, you know, it even shows that for one writer, there isn't just one type either. And I think we like to box people. And I just love what people can do with, what you can do with musical theater and the places you can go with it. 
and how through song you can really do anything you want to do. And that's why I love and stick to writing in this format. And now in its complete form, The Nine Lives of Mrs. Housel from Mrs. Housel, A Suicide Suite. I had a dream I killed myself Locked all the doors and turned the lights out I took some pills and closed my eyes listening to Twin City Song Story, recorded in the piano room at the Minneapolis Central Library, produced and hosted by Mark Sweeney with the support from Noise Picnic. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and spread the word. This is TC Song Story.